This is Selected Wisdom. I'm Clint Watts. If the name Matt Eversman sounds familiar, it's probably because of the 2001 film Black Hawk Down. Played in the film by Josh Hartnett, Matt leads a team of Army Rangers into the most intense battle the American military had seen since Vietnam. Look, you guys, I know this is my first time as truck leader, but uh, this isn't our first time out together. This is serious. We're Rangers. Not some sorry-ass JROTC. We're elite. Let's act like it out there. We're gonna be okay. All right, grab your gear, let's move out. That experience forever changed Matt and taught him much about war and leadership. When I first met Matt at Fort Benning, Georgia, I was a young Army lieutenant returning for infantry training, and he was an Army legend. Matt would stop by my apartment often to talk with me and my roommate, Pat, a fellow West Point classmate and Army Ranger platoon leader for Matt. Receiving persistent wisdom from a combat veteran like Matt was invaluable. He had a way of communicating with soldiers and leaders that was informative, instructive, reflective, and thoughtful, uncommonly sophisticated for explaining the harshness of war. I'd listened, enthralled by his perspective on combat, survival, and leadership during chaos on a far-off battlefield in Africa. When the September 11th terrorist attacks plunged the U.S. back into war, Matt Eversman returned to combat in 2006, 13 years after fighting a deadly battle in Somalia. It's rare for a soldier to be depicted in a movie, become famous for fighting in one war, and then go off years later to fight another. It had been a long time since I had talked to Matt, and I wanted to learn from him again to get his selected wisdom. I wanted to find out what he learned from two very different combat experiences and how we can all be compassionate leaders for a better tomorrow. I started our conversation asking him what he remembers about landing in Kuwait in 2006 to begin a 15-month tour in Iraq. My first impression was getting off the plane in Kuwait um, at the airport like at midnight in August. And I'm, you know, the first guy off and knowing that it's a safe environment, you know, unlike getting off the plane in Mogadishu, you know, knowing we're, we're in a pretty safe spot and it's midnight and I'm standing on top of the, the jetway, you know, the, 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 the steps to the big aircraft. And it's like 135 freaking degrees. And I mean, you take a, you take a, a, just smell for a second, breathe in and you can feel the nose hairs starting to singe. And I'm thinking, what have we done? Um, so that sort of started off this entire, what turned out to be a 15-month odyssey of uh, what we called Operation Iraqi Freedom. But um, everything that I thought I knew uh, about war was going to get uh, a little turned upside down here. So what is 15 months of war, Matt? I mean, what what happens in 15 months of war in Iraq? Usually it was 12-month tours, right? They extend you guys to 15. Did you know that when you were going there or you found out once you were there? No, we we found out once we were there, another one of these unbelievably, phenomenally, spectacularly awesome experiences is when you get an email from your wife at home, you know, eight hours behind you telling you that it's just been announced that you've been extended. Like, 
that's the kind of tomfoolery that uh, that's going on. Um, I mean, it's a long, long, every cliche about Groundhog Day and all that stuff, you know, 400 and something days away from home. Um, just wondering if today's the day the IED that was buried a year ago goes off or the one rocket happens to land or any of those other random things that we've all seen or heard on the news. You're just living with that every single day. What are you fighting? Do you know what you're fighting? What does that come out to? You know, the stock answer in 2006 was we're going to go and and end, hopefully, sectarian violence, you know, Sunni Shia beating each other up like the national pastime. And then we're also going to try and, and end the, you know, the the Al-Qaeda in Iraq, um, you know, intervention. Uh, so, you know, really there's two things going on, uh, which boils down to what does Alpha Company 431 do? We, we, we live with the Iraqi 4th Battalion of the 4th Brigade of the 6th, you know, Iraqi Army Division, um, helping build up their infantry and um, with that, their, their police force, so that we can accomplish both those things, that they can, one, make it a safe environment and end this, this sectarian violence, and two, you know, drive al-Qaeda out. And, um, you know, that is a marathon, uh, not not a sprint. Um, that's what we're we're doing. It is baby steps and baby steps of just... Anything you can do um, that basically you haven't learned um, in your normal trade. Infantry men in particular, and infantry women today, uh, you know, learn basic battle drills, you know, to 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 apply our, our craft, as it were. And yet now we're asking um, soldiers to take on an entirely new role. Oh, by the way, do your infantry stuff, but, um, you know, make sure you can go out and set up that, that girls' school uh, you know, in, in the local village. And also make sure you can help, um, you know, the State Department get micro grants out to the, you know, lettuce farmers. And, oh, but, you know, all these things that you're just sort of scratching your head and saying, I, I, I'm not sure I know how to do that very well anyway. Um, so it's all, uh, it's 400 and something days of, of adaptability and saying yes to things that you just have to because it's got to get done. So, Matt, if you could, what's the most dangerous day then? You know, we know the most dangerous day in Mogadishu. We, we've seen that story. What's the most dangerous day when you don't know what's coming or you don't know where the fight's at or who you're going to be fighting? What does that look like? Uh, yeah, so there is a, a um, you know, there's a constant state of, of um, you can't quite say readiness, in the doctrinal sense that you and I know, because you you can't stay at that level of anticipation for 24 hours a day for 400 days. You, you can't. So um, the idea of how do we how do we make sure that we're prepared for the unthinkable every day that that's a, a challenge in itself. Um, every day is a dangerous day. By 2006, we've been in Iraq for three years, and we've all watched on the news uh, these horrific IED, you know attacks. We've heard about the mortars. We've heard about all this. And now you get there and you get the witnesses. So uh, I could tell you right off the bat, you know, maybe the scariest day for me was was the first day when our 
you know, relieving unit left and um, the enemy probes us, you know, in a complex attack. And, um, you know, that was sort of a, a welcome to the to the jungle kind of kind of day. Um, I could also tell you it could have been the last day standing on the helipad um, with the, the first sergeant that's going to take over for me. And um, saying, hey, I'll, I'll see you later. I got to go do something. And walking off the helipad and he walks in the other direction and a mortar lands, you know, right where we're standing. Uh, you know, the days when you would get the, uh, the, the news there's a blackout because the blackout happens when, uh, you know, all the Internet is shut down because there's been uh, there's either soldier dead, wounded or missing. And as soon as that happens, you know, first you take stock and, you know, hey, it's not me and it's none of my guys. But then you know that there's some family that's getting ready to get the worst news of their life. And then, of course, that brings it back to your mind. You know, is that going to happen to me next? And again, I know this just sounds like a, you're, you're, we're talking about, um, you know, the lines from a play or the screenplay of a movie. But but that's the that that's reality. That's what we were facing in Iraq in, in 06. So take me to that, Matt, because I don't think that story gets told much, which is, Soldiers going missing, you know, in Iraq. What does that mean? You know, I, I don't know that that's really well understood. You know, I'd heard scary stories about it, but I wasn't there. What what does that mean when you have a soldier missing? Yeah. Um, so picture this, you know, your whatever road is out in front of your house, uh, you know, asphalt. And uh, one day somebody drives by and it blows up. And so you've got a six foot by six foot by six foot deep crater. And it takes a long time to fix a crater in a road in Iraq by the Euphrates River. So soldiers got to watch it. Like their only job in this case was to oversee, overwatch a big hole in the ground, which it's almost comical. You would you would laugh and rightly so. However, knowing that if you don't watch it, um, it's a great opportunity for the bad guys to just go bury more explosives into that hole, knowing that we're going to cover it back up. So we're watching it. And, um, of course, the bad guys know that it's there. And, and long story, not so long, um, one evening, this, uh, it's, a, you know, the two in the morning, three in the morning, guys maybe are nodding off, don't know. They're, you know, it starts to get a little, um, you know, nobody was there because winds up eventually being no survivors. But complex attack against the, the crew, um Gunfight, kids are pulled out of the vehicles, uh, they're torched, and um, a couple of kids, like two of these soldiers, get away. You know, two of these soldiers apparently get away, and eventually, so when we hear all this ruckus, the... This is U.S. soldiers, right, Matt? You're talking about two U.S. soldiers? two U.S. soldiers out of the patrol. And, um, you know, as it all spills out, what happens, you know, that nobody knows where they are. I mean, literally, by the time the good guys get there, um, two people are missing. And it is as bad and as scary as anyone would think right now listening, because uh, the evil men do what we'd seen, uh, you know, at the time it was Al-Qaeda, what we'd seen them do to prisoners, um, you know, executed in cages and just let your mind, unfortunately, wander. Uh, there's a real, real sense of urgency to 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 repatriate uh you know to get back and when a soldier is missing that that goes up to the highest level you know in the country and all available assets 
literally converge on the site. You know, you get all your air platforms and all this stuff. Now go back. This is 2007 when this event particularly happened. Um, so technology wasn't quite what it is today. And, um, you know, all of our capabilities clearly have improved over time. And, you know, to, 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 to get to the point, though, um, you know, the reality is, uh, that's not a that's not a win for for us, you know. Clearly, you know, I don't mean to be sound again cavalier about it. I mean it's a tremendous, um, not only with the loss of life, which is tragic, um, you know, the the everything that spills out from that is just horrible because the Americans are um, morale is hurt. Uh, the soldiers in the unit are not only hurt and demoralized, but they're angry to a null other level. And so then also you've got anybody that's under the age of, you know, 25 walking down the street in, in downtown BFE, Iraq, um, he's getting a better, closer look than he might have gotten, you know, a week ago. I mean, it's, it's a horrible, horrible, uh, perhaps it, it, it maybe is the worst event that could happen, you know, to a, to a unit, um, let alone the soldier. Eventually the soldiers, um, bodies were, were, were turned over. They had, uh, um, one of those exchanges of exchanges trying to get them up to like the head guy and Al Qaeda. And eventually they both, uh, you know, I think had died of wounds, but, um, you know, the good news, we got them back, but bad news, it's, 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 it's the worst thing that can happen outside of death. So, Matt, that's an interesting parallel, right? Black Hawk Down, part of what, you know, puts you guys in the situation you're in was getting soldiers back. And so, you know, when when I hear you talk about that, it, it it's, you know, that's always been one of the testaments of the American Army, you know, that we can do those things. You know that we're not going to give up on the battlefield. We'll, we will go after our own. We'll always protect them and try and recover them. Comparing that situation in Iraq, right, where there's sort of a illusion of safety at times, I'm sure, right? Like you said, it's 400 some days versus, you know, what you were in uh, in Somalia. Uh, I don't want to say what's your preference, but how does it feel? Like, did you feel like you had more ownership or more stake in what you were doing in Somalia in certain ways, even though you're outnumbered, you're outgunned, but you're maneuvering, you know, you're moving. And then the other thing I kind of wondered about was you were young the first time around, and you're much older the second time around. You're both cases, you're responsible for people, right? And and you're you're taking care of them. Looking back, what you know, what do you learn about yourself and how do you feel about those two things and how did you feel differently between the two? Both scenarios where you're trying to recover Americans. Yeah, wow. A lot of questions within a question. Our mission in Mogadishu was uh purely personnel driven. We're gonna go capture or kill somebody. Uh, that's it. Um we in Iraq, as I said earlier, we're really more trying to keep the peace. Um, Mogadishu, first time for me, and I'm 26 years old, uh, which in one hand is like an old guy in the infantry and certainly in the Ranger Battalion. But um, this is my first deployment to combat. You know, I we had 20, you know, that was 1993. In 1990, the 3rd Ranger Battalion kids jumped into Panama. 
And we still had people, you know, that were Panama veterans that were, um, you know, young sergeants now that were still younger than me with combat experience. So, you know, here I am going in like, wow, I, I know just about nothing um, in reality other than what I've been told and what I've been trained to do. Um, and it's really exciting. Like that, that's the reason we all joined, um, you know, and this is pre 9-11, uh, clearly. But, you know, I joined the army to go to war. And, and that is not being, you know, juvenile bravado, though it sounds stupid at the time now. But, um, you know, when you're, you're, you're 20 something in the late 80s and it's the Cold War and, um, you know, going to fight the Russians at the Fulda Gap is, is really cool, you know? So I'm, I'm on a path to glory, as it were. Uh, and, and my first experience award is going to be Mogadishu with the Rangers and Delta. And wow, that's going to be awesome. And of course, as soon as you experience the reality of combat, um, not to say that there isn't great adrenaline and great excitement and all that, but the reality in combat is that really good well-trained, well-disciplined, well-equipped men and women, you know, sons and daughters from across our great country, you know, are going to die at the hands of an inferior enemy. And that's really hard to swallow. But, you know, so then fast forward from 1993 to 2006, you know, a couple of experiences in between. I stayed in the regiment for a while. Um, now I'm a first sergeant, more responsibility, uh, going into a completely new fight. And again, um, all I have is a database of one. I can only compare it to my experience in Mogadishu, which was go and capture, kill somebody. And now all of a sudden they're springing this counterinsurgency idea. And hey, we're we got to be safe, but we're doing all kinds of other stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm inheriting a unit of a lot of kids. And I say kids with affection, but these young men that have deployed previously, you know, they've been to Afghanistan um, and I'm taking them with this unit. Um, but what I find there is that, you know, this experience in Mogadishu gave me a couple of things, you know, and again, sounds awfully self-righteous, but, you know, it, it gave me some, some clarity about what it really means to be a soldier in this profession at arms that we've chosen and, and why I stayed in. Um, so coming into this where maybe these kids have gone through a couple of deployments, haven't lost a soldier, really haven't seen anybody um, you know, get banged up or, or blown up or anything, thankfully. But, you know, when, when you haven't had that experience, yeah, I think you tend to have a little, your eye, your, you know, your aperture is a little more closed than maybe mine was. Things could really go south really quickly. And what are you going to do when that happens? And even though you tell me, young sergeant, that on your last deployment, you did 200 missions, you know, you've never shot your weapon. Um, so, uh, again, and I, if you're listening, you got to hear the whole thing in context because it sounds like I'm being kind of, a you know, again, self-righteous about it. But what, what I learned was, um, you know, war's hard. War's really, really, really hard. And I suspect it's always been hard. And, and, and that gets you know, d diluted. That message, I think, gets diluted. Either we, we become enamored with a persona on social media or, you know, the movies. So, you know, whatever pop culture does it. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a really hard experience for young men and women uh, to digest because we have to do things that 
um, even in this profession we've chosen, you, you really can't prepare somebody to do. So, Matt, I I like to talk about the enemy within, you know, our, our own internal adversaries a lot. And, you know, you going into combat in Mogadishu, I, I remember talking to you about, you know, what did we plan to do? What did we think we were going to do? How long was it going to last? You know, I imagine in Iraq that must have been next level. You know, what were what were the enemies you had to face within yourself and in your own units, really, in terms of just trying to get through those experiences? What sticks out to you? Yeah. So I, I think what, what, what the enemy within, um, when I look at Iraq, for instance, was we had validated so many negatives. Um, by validating negatives, Matt, what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah. So, for instance, if you do something that that doctrinally is wrong— you know, we've been told that don't do this. You know, if you do this, this will happen and it will be bad. Um, so you do it anyway and nothing bad happens. All of a sudden you tend to realize like, oh, you know, what they wrote was wrong. And and this this is this is actually fine. Um, nothing bad. See, nothing bad happens um, except in invisible ink. The nothing bad happens, comma, yet. Um, <laughs> so, for instance, and we'll go from really big to, to small. Big picture, um, now we're engaged in this great war overseas, you know, great pride of the nation behind it, post 9-11 kind of stuff. We're sending out, you know, we're sending the masses. We've got 100 or whatever thousand, you know, 100,000 kids. I think we're in Iraq, you know, by 06. Um, but we got a lot of people that are going out and you're going to be there, dog on it, for a year. You know, like this, this, even the first group that went for six or seven months, you know, we're going on a big deployment and oh, by the way, it's against an enemy. So now we haven't done that for a long time. You know, we haven't deployed at that level in a long time. And all of a sudden there's a lot of, oh shit, man, a lot of training we were, we were going to do at NTC, you know, that we just sort of blew off really. Now we wish we hadn't blown it off. So I, I think in one sense now we've, and we've got the national guard pulled in, we've got, you know, reservists pulled in and. You know, all this stuff now out of necessity is happening. And I'm not sure that that people were ready to do, you know, advanced urban combat, whatever we call them, operations, um, you know, in 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 the triangle of death um, when they hadn't even done it at, at home station yet. And now we're asking them to go in and, and do things that they're not going to do. So whatever they do, they start naturally making some modifications to their to their techniques out of necessity or fear. I don't know. People people do what they need to do in order to accomplish the mission. I absolutely believe big hearts, all that stuff. And yet, when I come on the picture, and this is by no means does Matt Eversman save the day because I'm so smart. Uh, this is one little piece of one little pie and a really great big one. Uh, you know, but I just remember seeing like, oh, gosh, these kids are talking like they've had, you know, so much experience. I'm really anxious to learn because I got to I got to get, you know, really squared away myself to fight in a, in, a, in an environment where they can booby trap a leaf to blow up your vehicle. I'm like, shit, I got to I got to learn um, and have these young men explaining to me and diagramming for me their actions, you know, on these patrols and realizing like this violates every principle of patrolling I've ever been taught. And oh, by the way, I validated the good stuff in Mogadishu. So I'm here to tell you, I have a big disagreement with this. 
And here's why. So, you know, you're explaining that and you find that just little, little bits and pieces had changed. And I think that that became our, our, our own worst enemy, you know, when we when when you get complacent, when you're not engaged, you know, it's not the healthy ingenuity that's coming up now. It's, hey, I'm really getting bored kind of thing. And, and again, I'm, I'm painting very general pictures. So uh, um, I apologize that I'm, I'm sound like Eversman saves the day here. But uh, that was really, really hard. I think in Mogadishu, the enemy within was um, there were a lot of guys that had been to combat that had that experience. They knew what it was like to go from safe to semi. They knew what it felt like to have somebody shooting at them, um, but they never shared that. So knuckleheads like me have a whole new sense of first. We're going to have a dramatic change from, hey, this is really exciting to, oh my gosh, that guy almost killed me. That's really scary. Um, and then, by the way, bad things happen. Helicopters crash, you know, your search and rescue uh, helicopter. You you go through all of your contingency plans and you still need more backup for your contingencies and there just aren't people. Like that, that's a whole story in itself. But uh, yeah, the enemy within is a tough one. And, and, and I wasn't, nobody even, nobody maybe even prepared me for that. I mean, there should be part of some kind of uh, pre-deployment checklist. Like, let's talk about the enemy within. Matt, you bring me to this uh, interesting point, which is, uh, so you were the sergeant that talked to leaders. You know, you knew how to carry yourself within the chain of command. But at the same point, people would listen to you and not take it as like, oh, the sergeant is telling me I'm a complete idiot and I don't know what I'm doing. You have that gift. You could do that. So... You know, now you're 26 years, you know, 27, 30 years later. What what have you learned about talking to leaders and being that convincing person that can can really find that gap and mend the fences between the leadership? Thank you. You flatter me by saying that um, you, you do. And I, I think I would add up a couple of things that I've learned and I've tried to always you know, carry them forward, uh, both on active duty or off. Uh, and I think the first thing is, 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 is there, there's this rule of civility, you know, treating people well. Like you just treat people well, just be a good guy. You know, um, quick aside, I love to share this story because it, it really had a big impact on me because um, it, it, it's just silliness. So imagine getting in, you know, it's the middle of the night, you get in Kuwait and they put you all in a bus and you're going to drive to the to the um to the tent in the Quonset huts or wherever and you got to go through this serpentine you know in this great big bus and um you know they've got all the the barrier the jersey barriers out so the bad guys can't come in and bomb it which is good and then you know this, on each one of these jersey barriers on the you know on the side the incoming side as you're driving in someone had this really grand idea like we're going to stencil some little you know leadership points, you know, for everybody, like, you know, drink water and stuff like that. And all of a sudden there's this one and it's, 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 I, mad, I just picture in my mind some, some sergeant's major, you know, real or some staff officer really just got, you know, super excited about that because they, they wrote, they had stenciled on the thing. We need leadership, not likership. You know, and, and I'm like, they were very pleased with themselves because I'm like, you know, which that's the kind of stuff that gives the green light to, you know, just bully and dumbass behavior of they don't have to like me, but they've, you know, they've got to respect me. And I'm like, I, I don't buy that. Like, I, I don't, there's no one I respect that I don't like, you know, you're kind of like, I don't like them because I don't respect you or vice versa. So uh, this idea of, 
you know, if you're going to build a team, you, you got to have people that want to talk to you. And that, disciplining them is a whole different story. But this idea of like, hey, if we're moving forward, we've, we've got to be able to communicate and we got to treat people well. Because a minute, you know, voices raised, you know, you turn off your your hearing and nobody listens anyway. And and that was a lesson I think I learned very early on, maybe even in basic, like, man, that guy's yelling at me. I, I don't like it and I'm really not going to listen. Um, so I think if, if there were one lesson from that whole thing, if there were one critical key to success from Matt Everton, I think, first of all, you, you have to, you have to have this code of civility um and it can't just be it's got to be deeds not words you you have to do that yeah and it's remarkable i i think when i was coming in the army you heard a lot about the yeller shouter type people i mean i even felt that on me you know as a young infantry leader i thought that's kind of what you had to be uh you know when i was starting out and uh, no one really set me down that way, you know, or talk to me about it. It wasn't until I met General Wayne Downing, who was the special operations commander, and he was my boss. And he would casually talk to me about it. And he remarked about how disappointed he was in himself for being kind of a young hothead in Vietnam, uh, you know, out on patrols lieutenant. And it does take time to learn that. But it does feel like uh, the television movie environment of the Vietnam era, right, taught, made you believe that's what you had to be to be a leader, right? And that turns out to be, I'm such a great with you, dead wrong. In fact, it's actually like the worst lesson you could learn as a very young person. Um, but it's kind of conditioned in you. It's the easy way out because, you know, now all of a sudden you, you've got authority that's uh, backed by Congress. Um, so, you know, woe it be you, you know, this college, you know, a, a young guy comes into the army, uh, enlists after graduating from college. So he's automatically a spec four, um, you know, and he shows up at the unit and he's got some kid that enlisted right out of high school. So this kid out of high school, you know, has a four year head start on the college kid. This is sort of like the reverse, you know, this is doing the end around because now um, that young 22-year-old corporal with a ranger tab, uh, you know, it's just going to make mincemeat out of this 24, 25-year-old, you know, college graduate specialist. Why? Because who knows why? Maybe the college kid comes in with a little chip on his shoulder, which exacerbates the chip on the high school graduate shoulder. Maybe it's just one's a not a nice guy and the other is. Um, but institutionally, I, you're like, hey, man, for twenty-two-year-old, we need you to 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 sort of set and enforce policy amongst these four people that come from four completely separate corners of 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 the United States, from four completely different backgrounds, from set of values, everything, and they're yours now, morning, noon, and night. And you've got to make sure, you know. I think the line is you're you're responsible for they do or fail to do. And you're like, it's a big ask, man. Somalia, nineteen ninety-three, thirteen years, two thousand six. You're in Iraq. 13 years later, 13, 14 years later, that's about now, you know, since you were in Iraq. So you got three sort of segments there, right? So you're 54 now. You've been in two wars in two different decades, two totally different kind of battles, but also the same, right? Like we talked about it. How do you feel about war and how America makes its decisions about war? Yeah, now? wow. Uh, it's, you know, we're, we're, we, I don't know if we're any better at it than we were, you know, 20 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Um, we're good at getting ourselves in. We're not good at getting out. Um, but uh, boil it right down. Listen, I, I, I have, 
I have, unfortunately, like a lot of other people, and just, again, prefacing, this is just Matt's opinion. Um, you know, I've seen this evil up close, and it's really horrific. You know, uh, the stories that you read sometimes maybe get a little distilled, um, but, you know, make no doubt about it. This this enemy is real. Uh, um, you know, uh, they they really don't like any of us. Uh, they, they, they don't, they Republicans and Democrats, they hate equally, um, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, gay, transgender, doesn't matter. Take your pick. They, they really would like to just lop off all of our heads. And uh, I've seen them, you know, in action. They're, they're, they're really evil. It's, 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 it's proof that God exists because they're bad, bad people. Uh, what I keep going back to, even though I might not explain it that well, is that, if we don't have anyone to do that, you know, to, to meet that evil enemy uh, up front, you know, on close quarters, you know, uh, hoist the black flag kind of thing and fire the cannons, um, th- we can't give them an inch and, and they'll take it. They'll seize on it. But just the reality sucks. And now knowing, you know, now knowing that, man, you know, my daughter is 18 uh, she could enlist. Um, she's going to graduate from high school in a month. Uh, she could, if she played her cards, you know, she could be overseas, you know, in, you know, before she's 19. Um, that's a real sobering thought. Uh, that I'd be proud on one side, but my gosh, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, it's a tough one, but we, I think have to have to think like that in order to make a, a decision where we're going to involve the lives of our, of our, of our children, um, to go over to, 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 to fight for us. And, uh, um, man, I, um, I am glad I don't have to be the one to to do it, but if I'm, if I'm putting my money on, I I say we, 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 we've, we've got to have, we got to have a force, uh, you know, overseas to fight bad guys. We just do. That's Matt Eversman, my longtime friend and mentor, offering his insights from fighting two of America's wars. Thanks to Matt for again giving me Selected Wisdom from his life and career. Selected Wisdom is produced by Steve Lichtai of Small Good Thing and Rachel Chernasky. If you like this episode and you want to hear more episodes, please follow the podcast where you're listening now. For more details on the episodes and guests, visit our website, SelectedWisdom.com, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Selected Wisdom. I'm Clint Watts, and thanks for listening.